Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jane says that with such enthusiasm. We're up to 11 degrees. Well, <laughs> yes, we are up to 11 degrees. But I tell you, the, the trend is good. As I was saying this earlier, um, much of the country is getting hit with some really, really nasty weather, freezing rain and stuff. Um, we are going to miss that. I, I don't wish ill on any part of the country, but if we can avoid freezing rain, I, I'm all I'm all with that. And the long term forecast, the next week or so, and I think even further, you know, shows us in a warming trend. A January thaw, temperatures up into the 30s and the 40s. To which I say, bring it on, because every day that goes by, daylight hours get longer, and we get closer to. Brewers opening day, so that's cool. Coming up in about 25 minutes, if you haven't heard it, last week was the inaugural edition. Um, it is our brand new week in review. Some different voices, perhaps, than you're used to hearing. I, I sort of call it uh, the, the, the two roses and a thorn. I am the thorn between the roses. Our friend Susie Falk and uh, Tracy Johnson, our week in review, they will be in at 11.30 or so. We also we live stream that on Facebook. So you can check it out there as well. Bo Jackson, I think if you try to think about the the greatest athlete of all time, you can make a case for for Bo Jackson. Uh, You you can make a case for, for say, Jim Brown. Certainly, you know, uh, people of a certain generation could argue maybe Jim Thorpe. You know, I think a lot of people think that maybe Jim uh, Brown was the greatest football player ever. Um, Michael Jordan dominated, you know, basketball, and Jordan was a great athlete, but, you know, when Jordan tried out for for baseball, you know, he was in the minor leagues, but he he just, he couldn't make that that transition, which shows how difficult it is to be a multiple sport athlete. You know, back in the 80s, Bo Jackson um, was something. He won the Heisman Trophy um, when he was at Auburn. He went on to be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, and, and Bo Jackson he, it's just incredible. He made the Pro Bowl in football. He played for the Los Angeles, now Oakland Raiders. Um, but, you know, he made the Pro Bowl in Pro Bowl in football. He made the all-star team in baseball. He played for the Kansas City Royals. I mean, so we're not just talking about somebody that played both sports on, on a major league level because there's, there's been a few. I mean, Deion Sanders did for a little bit, but we're talking about somebody that actually what was a dominant player. And I think you can make an argument that Bo Jackson in his prime might have been the greatest football player ever. And again, maybe some people are going to disagree, but I, he'd certainly be in, in the top 10. And if you were a football fan following football in, in the 80s and you watched what the guy did in college and you watched what he did in the pros, I mean, you, you would understand exactly how tremendous he is. So, okay, Bo Jackson's career, uh, both in baseball and, his fo- and football, um, ended in... Um, Ended in early 1991, he was playing uh, in a football game. So he was playing for the Oakland Raiders against Cincinnati. And what happened is um, he, he got he got hit um, on his hip, and the hit fractured and dislocated his left hip. And um, originally they thought, oh, this is not that big a deal. It's just going to be like a bruise or something. Um, but but it. It, it never healed. He, it turned out to be much worse. He required surgery for an artificial hip, and and he never he never put on a football uniform again. So it was this this one kind of blow that caused the catastrophic injury and ended his baseball career and ended his football career. And I think a lot of people believe that if it were not for this injury, 
he would have gone on to have been in not just the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but there's a very good chance that he would have gone on to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I mean, that, that's what an incredible athlete, you know, Bo Jackson was. Now, I bring this up because there's a story in USA Today about him. He's apparently getting some Lifetime Achievement Award from from uh, the Boy Scouts, the Scout Dream Award, uh, not Boy Scouts, I'm sorry, from the Professional Baseball Scouts Foundation. Uh, they call it the Scouts Dream Award, and he's going to be honored Saturday. And there's a big interview with him. And I, I think it's really interesting because one of the things that he says, and this is a quotation, if I knew back then what I know now, I would have never played football. Never. I wish I had known about all those head injuries, but no one did knew that. And the people that did know that, they wouldn't tell anybody. The game has gotten so violent, so rough. We're so much more educated now on the chronic traumatic injuries. There, there's no way I would ever allow my kids to play football today. Even though I love the sport, I'd smack them in the mouth if they said they wanted to play football. I'd tell them, Play baseball, basketball, soccer, golf, play anything but football. Let's open up the phone lines. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Bo Jackson, arguably one of the greatest football players of all time, now says, you know, if I knew then what I know now, I would not have played football. I would not allow my children to play football. Is he on to something or is he overreacting? Would you allow your kids to play football? Do you allow your kids to play football? We discuss. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. 1114 Jeff Wagner. 620 WTMJ. Bo knows. Where does he? 1117, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Table your tailgate plans and let us treat you with WTMJ's Run the Table Tailgate. That's right. We're giving away free food for your tailgate throughout the playoffs as the Packers run the table. One lucky listener even gets their food delivered by Gene Miller before the game. Listen all day to WTMJ for your chance to win. WTMJ's Run the Table Tailgate, courtesy of Bunzel's Old Fashioned Meat Market and Catering, and sponsored by Transitions. 414-799-1620 800-877-1620 which is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Bo Jackson, arguably... One of the greatest athletes of all time, certainly of our time, guy was a all-star in baseball, Heisman Trophy winner, all-pro in football. His football career was ended prematurely by a hit that broke his hip, uh, ended up having to have an artificial hip, you know, never played competitive athletics again. He now is out there saying, you know, if I had known, if I had known what football would do to you, Back then, if I knew then what I know now, no way I would ever play football. And if my kids ever said they wanted to play football, I, I'd say no. Actually, his phrase was, I'd smack them in the mouth. That's what he says, not what I'd say. But he said, I'd smack them in the mouth. I'd tell them you can play anything else. 414-799-1620. All right. Is, is he overreacting? Is this a guy that is ungrateful? Or is he on to something? And... You know, if your child came in and said, hey, I, I really want to try out for the high school football team, would you have any pause? Eric and Racine. Eric, you're first. Uh, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Uh, just, uh, I, uh, I agree with him. My uh, six-year-old son loves to watch football, college, 
NFL. He's really into it, and he's actually said to my wife and I, I want to play football. I want to play football. And we said, nope, absolutely not. He's good at baseball. He's good at soccer. So that's where we put our energies because football's just, it, it's too dangerous. And I mean, I enjoy watching football as much as the next guy, but last thing I want to do is see my kid out there getting smacked around like that. I just, no, of course. Now, of course, I mean, you know, there's there's some risks with the other sports. I mean, you know, basketball can be a contact sport. You know, soccer, you know, there's people that have, like, head injuries. Baseball, of course, you can get hit by the balls and stuff. I mean, any concerns with that? Uh, uh, not as much as football. Football is constant contact. There's no avoiding that contact. Right. Whereas in baseball and soccer, it's, it, it's present, but it's not a constant pounding after pounding. Look at running backs. Right. They take a pounding just about every other play because they run the ball and three guys, 400 pounds tackle. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I have a, I have a couple friends around my age who played high school football and they were like offensive and defensive linemen and their knees are shot. <laughs> you know, it's just, and, yeah. it, and they attribute a lot of it going back to when, you know, when they played, you know, ball in high school and stuff. It's just, they, they, they had a fun time. They had a great time, but it's cost them later on in life in ways I think that they didn't realize. Yeah, one of my managers, he can hardly walk, and he played semi-pro football, and he can hardly walk some days. Mm-hmm. He struggles to even get off the desk to go help out in the warehouse because he just from the football injuries. From yeah, the so you'd say no. Interesting. I mean, thank, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. I mean, I've told this story before. I have some, some friends, and they're – their son, who's now in college, but in time when he went to high school, quite an athlete, really good golfer, just a good athlete. And he was playing quarterback on the freshman football team at the particular high school. Mom was not too terribly thrilled about it. I don't know how dad felt, but, you know, third game in or something, gets hit and has a pretty significant concussion. And at that point in time, it was mom that stepped in and said, honey, I love you. You can do what you want, but you're not playing football anymore. And it was exactly what Eric was talking about. It was the here we're gonna we're gonna bang into people, and you know he, the first concussion was it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Eric and Racine, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. What do you think? In the morning. Good. I'm glad to have you. Thanks um, for calling. No problem. Um, if, if I actually had kids, no way. I would never. Uh, I would never say yeah, sure, son, or. <laughs> Yeah, sir, son, let's go off for the football team. No way. Because just the risk of injury? Yeah, the extreme risk of injury. That is one of the most violent sports next to kickboxing and boxing. Mm -hmm. That's one of the most violent sports you could ever get into. Would you let them participate in other sports like soccer or basketball or hockey or things like that? Yeah, I'd be a little leery about hockey because, you know, sometimes... uh, gloves fly off and they beat each other and uh you know right. they get slammed into the walls but well you're also hitting this like hard metal object <laughs> this hard plastic object okay thanks to you'd say no four one four seven nine nine. one of the things i find intriguing about this is as more and more stuff gets known about the head injuries and things like that whether more and more parents are going to be you know making that decision because my guess is 20 or 30 years ago, hey, your kid's good enough to go out for, for football, go out for football. I wonder if that dynamic is going to start changing a little. Michael in Wauwatosa. Michael, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Thank you for taking my uh, yes, sir. call. Um, I've played collectively football in middle school, competitively in high school, and even in college, and then coached for a, um, we'll just say a successful high school team for the better part of 10 years. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see injuries. I also played high school baseball in high school. 
uh, basketball. I think a lot of this is a little bit overcooked. I know uh, there was a series of former NFL athletes a few years ago who said things similar to Bo Jackson. Right. And of all the people that I heard say it best was uh, Drew Brees said, when my child comes along and says, I want to play football, he thinks high school is an appropriate age to do it based on appropriate coaching, both of playing and tackling technique and appropriate equipment. Mm-hmm. I do think playing football a little bit sooner than that, you're going to get into some pretty tough situations based on discrepancies in kids' sizes and training and how serious they're taking it. But I do think, you know, it's a little bit of buyer beware. It's part of the game. You know, it's but interesting you should mention it, Michael. College, I, I, I'm a TV junkie. And one of the things, there, there's, there's this show on one of these obscure cable networks, and I don't even know if it's still on, but it's been on for the last couple of years, called Friday Night Tykes, and it follows like these youth football leagues in Pennsylvania and Texas, and you've got th- these kids, eight and nine years old, who are in the pads and the helmets, and, and they're all out there playing. And I do have to admit, I'm not sure I'd let my kid do that, because partly of what you're talking about, the discrepancy. You've got some kids that are just big and enormous, and others that aren't, and I'm watching them kind of bang into each other going, hmm, I'm not sure if this is good or not. And one of my personal experiences from coaching, um, you know, I had a couple of concussions looking back. I don't think I'm any worse off at the age of 38. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also had some other injuries, but to be honest, they probably could have happened in other sports, especially if you're playing competitively and you're really pushing yourself. But um, we had a rash of concussions one of the years I was coaching, and with all of our coaches on the staff, we looked at each other, and it was some absurd amount of cumulative experience. Let's just say it was like 100 years. And look, we've never seen this many concussions in our collective lifetimes. How come we're getting so many this year? Right. We figured it out. Our kids weren't wearing their mouth guards. Oh. There's certain equipment you have to wear and wear correctly that will cut down on injuries. And one of the problems that I have when I watch college and pros that kids mimic in the lower ages, they're not wearing their pads. Right. You got you got to have the proper equipment. They're not wearing their butt pads. Yeah, and I'm sure you're right that it's, yeah, I mean, thanks for calling. I'm sure you're right that it's also, you know, the right equipment and learning the right techniques. Um, Robin in Madison. Robin, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. What do you think? You know, my nephew played that Friday night tykes kind of football back when he was about eight, you know, where it's more random motion than actual football. Right, (laughs) yeah. And, you know, his parents were pretty happy when he decided he would rather, he didn't want to play football anymore, and he's a big basketball person, but... I also was at one of his soccer games, and there was a kid there who was wearing this padded headband across his forehead, and I was talking to his mom, and she said he, had already, he was probably 13, 14. He had already had four concussions from playing soccer, mm-hmm. and they were still letting him play, which I kind of had to walk away because before I said something. Right. <laughs> but it was just, you know, really? You're letting your kid play soccer after he's had four concussions at the age of about 13? I just thought that was... Well, you know, my nephew, who is nine, has been playing soccer. They, in their league, they have a rule: you're not allowed to head the ball. You know, so beaches where you know you get some of the injuries. Now, how you stop that doesn't stop people from getting hit in the head by the ball and stuff. But at least, and I don't know when that changes. But right now, for exactly that reason you're talking about, because the brain is developing, they don't allow headers. And at least, I think to me, I think that's a good idea. Oh, I do too. I think it's just you know the thought of a concussion. At that, well, at any age, really, but at that age, and of course, the kids don't understand that because they think they're invincible right. and bulletproof and right. can fly and the whole thing. But the thought of you know compromising your child's brain health down the road so that they can play a sport—I I just, you know, I mean, I, I know a concussion can happen in any sport, right? 
but in football, it just seems to be kind of designed that way. Also. Well, I mean, it, right, it, it is that contact. I mean, thanks for the call, Rob. I mean, the, the, that's the whole thing that's built around. I just, I, I do, I am fascinated by this, and the reason I discuss it is I'm just, when you have players like Bo Jackson who are now saying, hey, I, I wouldn't let my kids play football, I mean, I wonder what the future of football is, in fact, going to be. It's 1127, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. <laughs> Eleven thirty-four. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Welcome. This is the weekend review. We are also live streaming this on Facebook. I am the thorn between the two roses. Um, interesting voices. My old friends from our TV days, um, who were putting the band back together, and we're recreating this on our weekend review. Again, you can watch this and participate on Facebook Live. Actually, you want to tune in during the breaks too, because as they keep reminding us. Okay, that, that even though we turn off the microphones on the radio, you can hear what goes on in the studio afterwards. I am joined by Susie Falk from Falk Group PR. Hey, Good morning. Good morning. Okay, get closer to the microphone. All right, there. I'm glad to be here. And of course, Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. Hello. Gr- greetings. Glad yeah. to be here. All right, let's get started. Um, I've actually been waiting all week to discuss this with you. Um, Donald Trump versus the mainstream media. For the first time since Trump was elected president. He holds a press conference that turns into a complete and total Donnybrook. Mm. Um, Starting out, and of course the big issue is this whole thing with CNN and BuzzFeed um, printing or referencing what turns out to be these false reports about Trump. So let's start off. I mean, Susie, you you do PR. First of all, who is winning the battle between the mainstream media and Donald Trump? Well, right now, sadly, I think the fourth estate is losing. I think the media is losing. Um, And it's so sad what's happened here. If anybody's been following, and I'm sure you have, it's BuzzFeed issues this report, which turns out to be not true. Right. It was was commissioned by some ex-spy that contains all this salacious type of stuff. BuzzFeed is not credible media to begin with, okay? And they don't like Donald Trump. This is where it gets really ugly. CNN decides because they've gone that BuzzFeed produced this report, they're going to pick up the story. And so while they don't publish the report that BuzzFeed did, they still call it a story and they start reporting on it. And, and then, of course, everybody sees that. And then sure. they go on the Internet and they say, OK, even though CNN hasn't directly linked to the story, they're telling us this out yep. there. Here, let me go find it. And you're yeah. two clicks away and then you're yeah. at the, the report. Now, now, I'm not defending CNN, but they did have the FBI director, Comey, who is briefing Donald Trump about this false news report. So CNN saw that as a story. But now, as we talked about this morning, Jeff, you did. Comey and some of his decisions haven't been maybe right. the smartest. So I think CNN made a huge mistake by not, you know, further fact-checking that story. Um, there is egg on their face. Um, so now we're reporting on the reporting. And right. and this is where I, and I'm a trained journalist. I have a master's in journalism from UW-Madison. I studied the fourth estate. I know the power of the media, and I understand the values that journalists can bring to the country. And they basically are, you know, keepers of the democracy. They are there to protect um, us. They're there to call out um, politicians when they do dumb things. Here's, Here's the problem. Donald Trump is deciding that fake news is bad, but so is letting real journalists tell real news stories. And so he's handpicking which media he wants to work with. And so Donald is actually doing us all a disservice by by sort of poo-pooing the fourth estate and saying, you know, you might be a good journalist, but you're not. CNN made a mistake. 
uh, most right. all those journalists are good journalists at CNN. Uh, Tracy Johnson, but BuzzFeed's justification for putting up the report that this that, that's pretty much discredited. Everybody acknowledges maybe there's a couple kernels of truth, but they, they can't verify. In the mainstream media, other outlets have been, like the New York Times, have been trying to verify stuff for months. People had this. BuzzFeed puts it up, and they justify it by saying, well, it's out there. People have it. We can't confirm anything, but we're going to put all this stuff up there and let people decide. Is that responsible? It, it is not responsible. All the media has in this world is the trust. And when they start putting their political interests in front of the public's trust... Or commercial interests. Here, or, we're going to try to get clicks. You know, we want people to come to our website and click on it. It's all out the window. And, you know, we talk about holding them accountable. They want to be the first one to the table to try to break the story. But they've got this Trump derangement syndrome, which I think is just going to discredit all of the media. They're going to be out on the outside looking in. And yes, Trump is going to pick the winners and losers. He's turning this whole game upside down. He's got 50 million Twitter followers. Who the heck cares about any of the media at this point when when it's going to come straight from his mouth? You know, see, what, what bothers me about what BuzzFeed did and, and also to an extent CNN, I, I, I get I get people pitching stories all, all the time. And I, I'm, you get these anonymous things, somebody saying, I, I will use the example since you guys are sitting here. All right, I, I've got all this this stuff on, on Susie Falk. Here, here it is. And, you know, and all these, these sort of salacious things mm-hmm. that you, you can't verify. There, there's no way that I would say, Okay, you know, I somebody reported this. I can't prove any of it, but here I'm going to put this up, and people can decide mm-hmm. whether it's true or not. You you just you would not do that. Now, since you're, again, you get the masters in journalism, responsible people, responsible journalists don't do that. Well, that's correct. And so I think what happened, what's happening with the media is there there are journalists, and there is the the media that is all about um, selling ads. And so I think it's going to boil down to um, basically the public educating itself and and educating our youth on what is digital literacy. And I know some schools that are picking this up in their journalism classes to talk about what is a credible news source. You know, is it what your your Facebook friends are reposting? Or is it, you know, brought to you by a thoughtful, credible journalist who's been trained, who, who has reliable sources that will fact check, triple check, and then go forth with what is credible news. And so, you know, we have a whole bunch of media out there, and it's going to behoove us all to figure out what's credible and what's not. Well, well that's, I mean, Tracy, do do we need the traditional media anymore? And, and the reason I ask that is, I mean, Ronald Reagan was the first president in my lifetime who, who talked above or through the media to the American public. But it was a different time back then, because you still had you know, you, you had the advent of cable news, but you still had the mainstream networks. Nowadays, with social media and with the proliferation of everybody's got a different website and Facebook Live and those type of things, I mean, do, do elected officials, do politicians, do people even need to go through the White House press corps or the, or the mainstream cable outlets? Well, I, I, I mean, when you look at even cable news or you look at the different segmentation, I mean, it is so, so segmented. I mean, I could go a whole day and hear nobody that disagrees with me mm-hmm. uh, when I flip through the channels. So um, I think there is still a place for some of the credible journal- journalism, um, you know, and I think a, a lot of that is is local. Um, I will say, you know, that our local stations will probably do a better job at that. Um, but, you know, the charging of opinion is what's going to get people to um, listen to you. And I, I like those the, those opportunities to listen to those diverse opinions. Um, and I think that, that the ones that are going to get it right are going to figure that out. Yeah. So. 
And I would say opinions are opinions. Facts are facts. And I think the more media outlets you can tap into, especially those that you believe are credible, the more opinions, the more facts you're getting, hopefully. You know, and, and yeah. we'll, we'll sift and winnow till we get to but the truth, gotta, Jeff. We always you do. you got to be polite about it, too, though. I mean, I think what's happening is people are just going overboard, and they're being disrespectful, and that's charging people, and that's getting people emotionally involved. And, and that's a problem, because this, this is supposed to be fact-based. This is our country that we're talking it's funny that you talk about the difference between facts and opinions, because every once in a while I'll get this complaint, you've got your facts wrong or whatever. And, and one of the things I typically do is say, okay, what, what facts do I have wrong? And what it turns out to be most of the time is it's not the facts that are wrong. It's just that somebody disagrees with my conclusions mm-hmm. that I have drawn mm-hmm. from the facts. Um, stick around. Coming mm-hmm. up uh, next, we're going to be talking about whether we should really be spending $10 billion to build a wall. Stick around. It's the Week in Review. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, 1142. It's 1146, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's our Week in Review. Susie Falk from the Falk Group PR. Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. Okay, one more national topic. Uh, When he ran for office, Donald Trump said, I'm going to build a wall along the Texas-Mexico border, and we're going to make Mexico pay for it. New developments this week, uh, President-elect Trump saying, we're still going to build the wall, and the costs are estimated between 4 and $10 billion, um, and Mexico's still going to pay for it, but we might have to pay up front. All right. Susie, do we go build a wall? Do we really need to do that? Well, uh, this is a tricky one. We have, uh, you know, half the border is covered in fences and security. And and unfortunately, the drug cartels have found a way to, you know, dig tunnels. So they're still having uh, their fun in the U.S. Um, I'm not positive a wall will solve the problems, to be honest. And who pays for it? I certainly don't want the U.S. to be stuck with the bill. Um, I actually have been reading some interesting articles that the president of Mexico really needs Donald Trump and really needs right, the United States. Right, because you need States. the trade. Yep, well, there's yeah. a, there's, he's up for re-election in a year and a half or so. So the question is, would, would he be willing to pay for the wall? And, and I don't rule that out. Tracy. Mexico is paying for that wall. I think, I think you know the the threat, even just the mere threat of a physical wall. That physical presence of a wall um, is going to get these talks going. There are billions and tens of billions of dollars that go across the border mm-hmm. that Trump is talking about. You know, using in mm-hmm. terms of you know putting restrictions on the visas and mm-hmm. you know all things like that to try to pay for that wall. But I think that this threat at least is going to get the talk talk starting because there is a need for immigration reform i guess i say when i I first heard him talking about this i actually thought the wall was kind of a metaphor as opposed to you know a 15 foot high wall i mean because i mean i I was thinking okay you you know let's put more border agents on let's let's use surveillance flights let's use all this Uh modern technology as opposed to just a wall but i he does mean a wall he means a big beautiful you know big wall. wall people aren't responding to this talk of like oh let's sit down and negotiate i mean let's like got to do something, and that's what he's proposing, and yeah. that's what people gravitated towards. So you think the wall is going to be, the, the threat of the wall mobilizes other stuff? I absolutely think that. I mean, it, the, because what we've got are so many jobs that are leaving the United States, and that's what he's talking about. Physically, when you see that and start to, to think about that, you know, that can't happen. No, he's got to do something, too. This is a big campaign promise. All right, this is no, one of the first things he's going to address. Right. So. Now, now he, he's starting to back away on the, and, and appropriately so in my case, on the idea of we're going to, like, have the deportation squads and try to round up 11 million right. people, which, while some people disagree with me, I just don't think it's practical to right. do that. But no, I think I think he's, he's got to figure out a way to get that wall started. Okay, let's switch gears. State of Wisconsin. One of the big issues is, 
and, it, and it's brewing as a potential fight between Republicans. Road improvements. You know, we've got lots of big highway projects, the zoo interchange being one of them. The, the gas tax has been stuck around 32 cents for pretty much forever. Um, you've got registration fees. The governor is pretty clearly saying, you know, any spending, it's going to be through bonding and borrowing. Um, other people in the legislature, notably the Speaker of the Assembly, is saying, well, everything should be on the table. Maybe gas tax increases, maybe toll roads. Tracy Johnson, where are we going with this? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, this is going to be a battle of the ages. I mean, you've got you've got all of this press and these public campaigns that are really pushing for it. You've got municipalities pushing for it. You've got lots of interest groups and manufacturing groups pushing for it. Because at the end of the day, this is an economic issue. You can't just wake up one day and say, oh, we're going to fix all the roads. They're trying to find a long-term solution. Because what's happened, to your point, Jeff, earlier, we have not been indexing the gas tax. It's been over 10 years that we haven't been keeping up with inflation. And as a result, our our revenue streams for transportation have been stagnant. Okay, let's talk the politics. You've got the governor, who I believe is very clearly planning to run for re-election. You've got overwhelming Republican majorities in both the Senate and the Assembly. The politics of this is typically voters don't elect Republicans to raise taxes. I mean, mm-hmm. isn't that just as a practical yeah. political matter a non-starter? It's a t- it's a tough one, and when it's we when start. you know we lobby on this issue, it's it's a tough one because the constituents they don't see it. They see the orange barrels, and it's a part of life. Well, I mean, see, I guess see, that's one of the things that I keep coming back to on this. I don't think the general public thinks the roads are in that bad a shape. No. Now, whatever the whatever the reality is. I'm not sure that the general public thinks that the roads are in such bad shape that we need to have toll roads or yeah. we need to do whatever. Well, yeah. Okay. So what they need to do is explain the economics of this and how if we don't in, in, you know, enhance the roads, we are going to really suffer. Our economy will suffer. Tourism will suffer. Development will suffer. And they have to keep pounding that home and find concrete ways of telling the story. You know, Talk about other states that have paid for better transportation, better roads, and showcase that those, those communities are doing much better those states are doing much better they're not doing i don't think a good good enough job and i'll tell you something the the toll booths no thank you i don't <laughs> i don't like going to chicago nobody, for the toll booths nobody, i have an ipass well but, but you look at it as a tool for for that economic development and to your point make the case this is what happens if you don't look at the i-94 corridor right. i-43 there's a reason why companies like amazon and uline want to be here is because right. there was a commitment made that we are going to support your business what what about but but does that necessarily translate into increased tax? I mean, what, what's wrong with, with bonding? What is wrong with borrowing? Because the, I mean, the truth of the matter is, not too many people could buy houses. If if the house is two hundred thousand, there's not too many people that have two hundred thousand bucks sitting around. You take out a mortgage. I mean, obviously, if you borrow too much, it ends up creating an issue. But the governor seems to be saying, "Hey, I, I think the way to go is to." is to borrow. I mean, is that wrong? This is not a long-term solution. You've got to figure out a solution, and other states have done it, and we're just, we just have our head in the sand, not thinking creatively and not thinking in a way that, that is actually investing in our state. And what if the pie doesn't grow, and what if the economy doesn't grow? Okay, but you talk about creative. I mean, I, yeah. I don't know. There's, there's not too many other choices other than raising the gas tax, toll roads, 
increasing registration fees. You're going to get those registration fees. Look at the county, was Milwaukee County. That was a bad, I mean, fine, we'll do that then. But uh, but bonding, I think that's a good idea, actually. I support bonding. I also support the gas. Uh, Well, I'm not going to do it, but, you know, know, we don't pay a lot in gas, if you look at other That is Susie Falk. I'm running for office. Of course I'm not running for office. That's Susie Falk. Well, I'm surprised if I'll be invited back on No, no, you are are welcome all the time. (laughs) All right. Registration fees. Everything should be on the table. Everything should be on the table, and maybe it takes a little bit of everything to get going, but the no new taxes thing is going to show. Well, I mean, I just... I, again, I, I had an opportunity to talk to the governor following the state of the state speech for about a half hour, and I would never presume to speak for him. But I just that, that, that's kind of the message I'm getting. And it, mm-hmm. I, I understand that there's there's some there's some Republicans in Madison, particular, including some, and I don't say this in a bad way, who have very strong ties to groups like the Road Builders and things like that, who are going to be pushing for this. I just, if we're talking about tax increases, I just think for the next two years it's a non-starter. But maybe I'm mis- misreading the tea leaves. Coming up, we're got our uh, Right Stuff Awards, people who get the attaboys. It is 11.53, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 11.56, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, the Week in Review with Susie Falk and Tracy Johnson. All right, these are our Right Stuff Awards. It's a continuation of something that Charlie Sykes and I used to do. Individuals, entities, institutions that we think deserve credit for doing the right thing. Tracy Johnson. All right, my Right Stuff Award goes to the Talladega Marching Band. They are a marching band from the historic Black College in Alabama who was asked to perform and accepted the invitation to the Trump inauguration. They're standing strong amidst the criticism for their decision, citing it as an opportunity that these students will not receive in the classroom. Their reasoning is positive, and their communication is above the politics for this historic annual event. Right, and they received, they got quite a bit of heartburn for that. They had a lot of alumni who were threatening to pull financial contributions and things like that. Good choice. Susie Falk. The Walkers, Tanette and Scott. You know, I salute them. I listened to the State of the State on Wednesday, and Tanette talked about this trauma-informed care that the the state is going to throw some money behind and some support. And basically, it is teaching county workers, state workers, how to help kids and adults who have lived very hard lives, have been somehow impacted from stress, um, trauma in their upbringing, you know, and how that does affect their behavior, their attitude, um, and how to really create more of a holistic approach and care to these kids and adults who really suffered. So good for the Walkers. My Right Stuff Award winner is a little bit of a duplication. It goes to Governor Scott Walker. State of the State address this week. Um, it, it is very clear. If anybody thought that the governor was punched out or not energized, you listen to the things that he is talking about. I think he is extremely committed. I think the State of the State address was sort of laying the groundwork for uh, another run for a third term. He says if it's a third term, it's going to be his last one. But he's talking about some stuff to kind of finish the job, and I think it is extremely exciting. John Jagler, WTMJ Today. What do you yes, got sir. coming up on the big show? Uh, well, the news about Jordy Nelson we're going to talk about. Also, something that that's happening uh, in Madison today, we're getting a report on recommendations to solve a big, big, big problem in our communities, a firefighter, volunteer firefighter shortage. It is at near crisis level in some communities where there's just not enough volunteer firefighters to man these stations and what that is doing in the community and how it's putting people at risk. John Jagler, Eric Bilstedt, WTMJ Today. You've been listening to The Week in Review. Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson, thank you so very much for joining me. It's a pleasure as always. Once again, we podcast these broadcasts. We've been Facebook Live streaming this particular segment, so you can go and watch that. I am out of time. Back 
uh, 8.30 tomorrow. I'm taking off Saturday. 8.30 Monday morning when we do this all again. Have a great weekend. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.